Now, once you get your Bible, this is a very serious part of the uh, uh, service when we uh, read from the Word. Now, we'll be reading all the way through the, the, the message, but we'll put it up on the screen. You can look in your Bible. You can look on your telephone, whatever you want to do. But when God speaks, we better listen, and especially when he speaks as clearly as I hope he'll speak to your life today because it sure is clear in the Scripture. I'm, call, I'm entitling the message, Not Sure... Or sure, I'm sure. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, we're going to talk about whether you're not sure as to whose kids you are, uh, whether you've ever been born again, or uh, can you say, sure, I'm sure. I know in whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to handle anything that's out there in my future. And so I want to read to you from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. 2 Timothy 1, 7. And I'll read through the 14th verse. For God has not given us, of course, Paul's writing Timothy, and he's talking about the family of God. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who's abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and in love, which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Every single one of us need a calm confidence that we belong to the Lord if we do belong to the Lord. If we don't belong to the Lord, every single person here needs to clearly understand the simple teaching of the Holy Scriptures as to how it relates to your life, your family, your friends. I want you to think with me today as we move through something that is more critical maybe today than ever. If not, very close to, of all of history, I cannot think of a more uh, important time than right now when we ought to be hearing a word from God that could change our future forever. Too many Christians today are questions marks instead of explanation points. We like to ask questions. We like to get our Bible questions answered. We want to know the answer to all this kind of stuff in the Old and New Testament, and that's, that's good. But also, we ought to be explanation points. We ought to be able to say, I know whom I have believed. I know. I'm persuaded. He's able to keep that. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. I mean, we need more that kind of Christians rather than, well, I'm still searching, I'm still studying, I'm still learning. 
If we're ever, ever going to have peace in our spirit and have a real purpose for our life, we're going to have to settle the issue of whether or not we're living proof of a loving God to a watching world. In other words, are we any, do we provide any of the evidence that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do we, do we in our life have any evidence that people can see that know us that one day a change took place? One day we experienced something that darkness became light. Having a purpose, purposeless life became a purposeful life. Did that ever happen to us? Those that know us best, those that are around us the most, those that have long, known us the longest, is there anything there that would show people that we're living a life that is a result not of our physical birth, but we're living a life as a result of our spiritual birth? One day, we were born again. One day, Jesus came into our life. One day, something dramatic happened, and all of a sudden, we began to realize there's a purpose for me being alive. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus made the strongest statement in all of the Bible as to the absolute essentialness of salvation that we could not expect to come into this world, live a good life, do the best we can, help as many people as we can, then one day die and go and spend eternity with God. Jesus wanted to make something real clear. And as he was speaking to a man named Nicodemus, who was a very intelligent man and had a lot of questions, but when he spoke to him in John 3, 3, here's what he said. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Very strong, but very clear. You see, there are those today that feel like when you use the term being born again, you say, well, that's not in my vocabulary. I was raised in the church, and we never talked about that in our church, and I don't really know what you're talking about. I think that is a Baptist doctrine, and no, it is not a Baptist doctrine. It is a biblical doctrine, but it's not only held by those that call themselves Baptists. It's held by Christians around the world. I want to give you an example. I have a quote from Bishop Raymond Lucker in the U.S. Catholic. This I took and wrote down in March of 1984. So this is not something new or change in the church. Here's what he said. We taught people for several hundred years that you become a Catholic by going through a series of instructions through handing, the handling of a body of truths. We really, didn't call them to convert, we really didn't call them to conversion or to a changed heart. Now listen to what he says. I really believe that one of the biggest problems of the church in this country is that we have many people who go to church but who have never been converted. A personal commitment, making a personal commitment to Jesus Christ has never been an important thing to them. Billy Graham said over and over again, some of the greatest stadiums in the world and in some of the most populated areas of Christians in the world, that maybe the greatest mission role in the world is the roles of churches, where people some way, somehow is thought if they just get into a religious movement and begin to join up and sign up and so forth, that eventually it'll be okay. 
that Christianity is just uh, one of many religions in the world, and if you get in this one and you do everything right and you do what you're supposed to do, then everything's going to come out okay. That's not true. And today we're, we are suffering in America as a result of it. And the world is suffering as a result of that kind of thinking. I want to submit to you something to think about this morning. <clears throat> I love America. I think most of you do too. I love the red, white, and blue. I think it's the greatest nation that there's ever been. And my heart breaks for our country. I listen to the news. I watch the news. I try to pay attention just like I hope most of you do. But I want to submit to you something for you to think about. I do not believe America, biggest enemy, is foreign powers. I do not think that America will ever be destroyed by a foreign government. However, I think America is very close to committing suicide. I think we're very close to committing suicide. We are seeing Satan rise up in every area of America's life. We are so ignorant today of some of the things that we even think and talk about or legislate. We are so confused today, even as the church, and America believes the enemy is over there. And at the same time, the drugs, the drinking, the sexual perversions, the pornography, we're killing each other. And families are even killing each other. And it's on the news every single day all over this land. We have a spiritual cancer in America that cannot be won with guns and bombs and missiles. It can only be won by America's people being born again and rising up as followers of Jesus Christ and taking on not for the Democrats to lead us or the Republicans to lead us, but for God to lead us because God is looking for a people to raise up. But what has happened is our churches have gotten so confused they don't even know why they're here. We're not here to change a culture. We're, change a, we're here to change individual lives. We're here to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ from the cross to the home to the life and see people be born again and become new people in Christ so that their families can come together and their body becomes a temple of God and they're very careful what they do with that body. Their mind is the mind. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. That's the mind that we need in us, but we don't have it. But what we have done is we've come together and believe that if we can just become compatible, the church I'm talking about, with the world and be like the world, then we're going to reach the world. It is not going to happen. The only way America will ever have a revival is for Jesus Christ to be lifted up and call all people to him. And if that does not happen, we are doomed to self-destruction. Now, as I speak to you this morning, I ask you to ask yourself, what is happening in our nation? What in the world is happening in our country? Why is it we have no influence on our culture? Very little, very little. We are mocked at as Christians. Why? Because we've become so much like the world, there's nothing there to influence. Absolutely nothing.
But God is trying to call his people out of darkness into light. He's also trying to call the unbeliever to a new life in Christ, forgetting those things which lie in the past and be born again and move on with God. And when that happens, good things will take place. All of a sudden, we will see things begin to change rapidly. The three groups of people, I think, are the biggest at risk, and you're going to be shocked at these. Number one, I think, is people who have been raised in church. By raised in church, I mean they've been on the row forever. You know, their mother brought and put them on the cradle row. We used to call it in the Baptist church. Signed us up, and we've been on it ever since. And uh, we'll start from the cradle row to the graveyard, you know. We just, we just, uh, we just all uh, happy, happy, happy. We, some of us attend church. Some of us read our Bible. Some do good. But that's not a substitute for being born again. You got to be born again. You don't just join up. Being baptized without a new birth is just getting wet. You, you come in dry, you go out wet. That's it. But when you are born again, you go in and give a picture of what happened to you. You were born again. What does that mean? You died to an old life. You were buried in Christ in baptism unto death, the scripture says, and you're raised to walk in a new life. That's called a new birth. That new birth means that we are now followers of Jesus Christ. What that means is it's a silly stuff that we're being asked to deal with now in this country doesn't even become an issue. That had been settled a long time ago when God made us, male and female, when God ordained marriage as his first earthly institution, when God decided that he was to be king of kings and he was to be Lord of lords. And it wasn't man, it was him. And if we would kneel and pray and turn from our wicked ways, he'd forgive our sin and he would heal our land. America needs healing. Our families need healing. You need healing. And for those of you that have never been born again, you've never, ever had a new life, new birth experience. You can have, and you can live differently for the rest of your life. I'll tell you another group that's at high risk. Those of you that made a religious decision when you were going through a crisis. You were going through a divorce. You were going through a financial failure. You were going through a sickness. You were loss of job. There was something going on, and somebody told you you need to come down to church and get right with God. So you came down to church. You filled out a card, and you said, okay, I'm right with God. But you never confessed your sin, never repented, you never sought God's will for your life. It, it's high danger, high risk. I've seen people cry their eyes out at funerals, and by the following Saturday, they're right back in the same sin they were in before the accident happened, especially when the accident happens close to where they live. I almost got involved in that car wreck. I almost got involved in that tragedy. You know what I'm talking about. But we just go along playing church. And so... That's a big danger. And I'll give you a third one. People that are church hoppers. They just go from denomination to denomination to denomination to denomination. They're jumping around like Easter bunnies, you know. They hop in one Easter and then hop out into another one, you know. And they just, you know what they're thinking? I'm just going to get a little dab of all of it. I don't know which one of this church bunches is right, but I just want God to know I was a member for six months of each one of them while I was going through life. Folks, that's not what it's about. <laughs> It's about a new life. It's about a surrendered life. It's about a consecrated life. It's about a committed life. It's about walking in the light instead of in the darkness, even though all your friends are there walking with you. The most asked question that I have ever had in my ministry and still is, is this question. Preacher, how can you know you're born again? Or sometimes it's asked like this, how can I know that I'm saved? 
That's the number one question. How can you know? See, a lot of people think you can't know. They're just taking a chance. They say, I think I got a better chance than I did in the lottery. I didn't win the lottery, but I think I'm going to try this one now. No. No. You ought to know. I mean, you ought to want to know. And I ought to be able to give an answer, not from me, but from the Scripture. So Jesus knew that that would be an asked question because something's wrong with us. We're all born with something wrong with us. How do you fix it? When's somebody going to invent something so I can live forever? It's already been invented. It's called eternal life. It's called the blood of Jesus. It cleanses you and saves you for all of eternity. You shall never die, the Bible says. But we go on struggling and struggling. Now listen to the warning. In Matthew 7, 21, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. As we approach our celebration, we're reminiscing a lot. For those of you that are guests today, we're thinking about those that were at Sagemont through the years, and they're all over the world now, singing the gospel, preaching the gospel, running corporations with their businesses, sports, whatever. But one day, they had a real experience with Jesus Christ. One day, they were born again. One example is Al Denson. I remember when he came to my office at eight years old. That little guy was so gifted. He was arranging music for our orchestra when he was 11 years old. Charles Matthews had a Ph.D. in music. He was our music director, and the 11-year-old was arranging the music. And I remember him sitting in a little office over there in our first building and said, I believe God's calling me into ministry. And he did. And Al is sang all over the world for Jesus. It's unbelievable how he's impacted the world. And there's many, many more. But here's the thing, folks. Here's my point. God's got a plan for your life. He wants you to be a part of his family. He's not ashamed of you. You say, well, I'm ashamed of myself. That's okay. He sees you through the blood of his son. He sees you white as snow, clean, clear. That's what he sees. But you have to know that this has happened in your life. So I've got real quickly, I'm going to give you 10 questions. And by the way, Mother's Day, I gave you 10. Some of you didn't get them all. We've printed those for you if you call the church. We'll give you on the 10 signs of a godly mother. But are you ready for this? If you write real quick, number one, how do you know if you're safe? Number one, have you experienced a definite change in your life? Was there ever a day when, when your life was dramatically changed? Or did you just one day kind of by osmosis kind of got close to the Lord? You got to get more than close to the Lord. You got to let the Lord get in you. You can get close to the Lord all your life and walk close to the Lord and salvation is just one step away because the moment that you move and you repent and you move towards the Lord, you're going to be born again. You're going to have a brand new life. But here's my question. Have you ever experienced a definite change in your life, whether you were 8 or 80 when it happened? Did you change? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Listen to this. Therefore, if any man, any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. That's a change, folks. That's not a hope so, wonder so, a hope so, I feel like it could be. I think I'm getting close. No, it's light and darkness. It's a totally new direction. Tears Green was here yesterday. Authentic manhood. Fabulous artist. Our men showed up yesterday morning, had a great time together. But as Tears was speaking to the men, he gave us a, an interesting chart. Everybody picked their spot on the chart. 
He said on life's road, if you're under 20 years old, you're in the springtime. He said if you're 20 to 40, you're in the summertime. If you're from 40 to 60, you're in the fall. And if you're over 60, it's wintertime in life. But you know what? doesn't matter which one of those you're in. You can be born again just like that. And you can start over again. And I would think the closer you get to winter, the more you'd like a little sunshine in your heart, you know. The more you'd like to have an opportunity to, to serve Jesus in a day-by-day way. But was there a change? Did it happen? Number two, do you desire God's will in your life? Do you really desire? Do you want your way or God's way? Do you want the church to be, do church God's way or you want to do it your way? Do you want to do what God wants you to do or do you want to do what you want, you to, want to do? That's the question. Who's planning your future? Who's planning your future? You say, well, I'm going to this council. I'm going to that council. Good. I hope they're godly council because if it's not, you're going to really be in trouble. But why don't you go somewhere in a quiet place and get on your knees and be still and know that he's God and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? That's the great stories of the Bible. They didn't go through a six-month, two-year, five-year, $50,000 training program to find out what they were going to do. If you'll find God's will for your life, you won't spend $100,000 for college education when God didn't want you to get one to start with because that's not what he had for you to do. You'll know that before you spend the $100,000 that you finance over the next 20 years. You will know that God has a plan for you. Do you know that? Or do you wonder, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, what are you going to do? Well, like, I don't know. I'm just 35 years old. Why should I? I like what David Gentile said yesterday, our contemporary music leader. He said when he, when he met his wife, he proposed to her. She asked him one question. Are you a boy or are you a man? Think that question over. You know what that wife was asking him? Are you through playing? Are you ready to support me and your family if we have kids? I think he got the point, you know. They're still happily married, okay, and I hope they'll be happily married ever after. But here's the point. Do you desire God's will in your life? Now, come on. Do you want God's person to marry, or do you want to marry who you want to marry? Do you want to do what God wants you to do or what you've always wanted to do since you were a little child? That's scary. That is scary, scary, scary. I think of all the things I want to do when I was a little child, and if I would, I'd be dead by now. I wouldn't even got to springtime. But think about it. Number three. Oh, listen. Matthew 5, 6. Let me give you a scripture. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they'll be filled. Hungering, thirsting after righteousness, and you'll be filled. Number three, does the Lord discipline you when you willfully disobey his instructions? This is a tough one. Does the Lord discipline you? Or you say, no, not now. I'm 52 years old. So far, I've escaped. You know, you wouldn't believe what I've done. Here I am. I'm still standing. Ooh, you better be scared. Because you see, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 6, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. What son is he whom the Father chastens not? See, God puts these roadblocks in front of wayward children. God does spank his kids. I'm sorry, I know that's not in America. We're, gonna just, we're just going to raise a bunch of kids that don't know a thing in the world about discipline. They answer to nobody. We're well down the trail. But that hadn't been that long of a trail. God disciplines his children. And some 
that I'm talking to right now, you're going through the valley of the shadow of death right now. You're a born-again Christian. You know that you are, but you can't understand. Why, God? And God has said, my ways are higher than your ways. And we sing, and we'll understand it better by and by. So you understand? Does the Lord discipline you? When you willfully, willfully disobey his instruction. Number four is a tough one. Has the world lost its hold on you? Come on, folks. Has he lost his hold on you? Are you, are, are you does the world still have you tied up with amusements? Does the world still have you tied up that you want to make sure that you know everything that's going on in the world so that whenever you get with your Christian friends, quote, unquote, that you can discuss who won the contest, who is, who is the idol, who is the person, who won, what did judge number two say, and so forth, because you just want to be cool and see what the world is doing? Or could you honestly say, God has given me victory over some stuff in my life. You know what? Once you get victory over an area in your life, you won't even be tempted that anymore. There's some of the things that every one of us that have known the Lord for years, when, when, the, when the line was drawn, the temptation doesn't come anymore. It used to. The devil said, I'm a fool with you. I already know you're going to throw God at me, and I don't want God. I don't want him after me, so I'm not going to bother you. Once, it's when you say, well, I'll pray about it. If it's marginal and you have to pray about it, go with God. Take that, that course, you know, move in his way because that's what he wants you to do. 1 John 2, 15, love not the world, neither the things that are of the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Colossians 3, 2, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. In this point, I want you to understand God knows that the world has a hold of a lot of people that are church members and think they're Christians. But there's no difference. No difference. Their vocabulary, their itinerary, their menus, and on and on I could go is just like that. Not with God, but with the things of this world. Number five, does the Bible take on new meaning? Had to, has there come a time when it took on meaning for you? Listen, atheists study this book. You don't become, you don't do God's will by studying the book just to get the facts. You study this book as an instruction manual as to how to live your life. So that when you come up against the temptations that come your way, that you don't just have a biblical answer, you have a testimonial answer that one day Jesus Christ came into my life and my vocabularies changed, my itinerary changed, my priorities changed, my emotions changed, my whole personality changed, everything changed. And you ask anybody around me and they will tell you that happened. That is always, always, always the case. 1 John 2.20. But you have an unction from the Holy One that you know all things. This is the instruction manual for the believer. We are to study to show ourselves approved unto God. Workmen, workmen that need not to be ashamed as we rightly divide the word of truth. The primary purpose of the Bible is not as a history book. It's a book on how God wants his children to live. So, somebody asks you, what do you think of Bible? Bible, would you say, well, I think it's interesting. I think it's very informative. I think it's amusing. I think it's beautiful. Well, is it your guidebook? 
Is it your instruction manual? That's the question. Number six, you might want to write down your ten names of your ten best friends, and I'll ask you the question, do you enjoy being with other Christians? Who's the top ten on your chart? Ten, top ten people. Are they Christians? Do you like to get around them because they like the things of God and you like the things of God? So you talk about the things of God. Or have you picked them for another reason? That's the question. Who are those that you enjoy being around? If you were going to go on some recreation trip, on a vacation, who would you want to take with Who would you like to go to dinner with if it wasn't for, for the purpose of trying to talk to someone about a new life in Jesus? But if you're going to fellowship with them, where does it come from? Is it a church or is it somewhere else? That is the question. Where are you the most comfortable? Number seven. Do you wish you could be free from temptation? I know a lot of folks don't even want to be free. I'd rather be tempted. I'd rather get as close as I can to the fire without being burned. Now, I definitely wouldn't do that. That is terrible. But I'll watch it being done. I wouldn't talk like that, but I would pay to listen to other people talk that way. They can damn God's name, and I'd just pay the ticket and go on in and sit there just like everybody else. That's a very serious, serious question. 1 John 3, 9 says, Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. The fight is... And we can abstain from all appearance of evil and all evil if God is allowed to take over. If we're willing to decrease and him increase and him fight our battle, then we don't find ourselves being knocked down by all of our other friends that say, well, I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible. That's not the question. I'm glad you believe the Bible because the Bible says a fool says in his heart there is no God. When you say, I believe in God, I believe in the Bible, that's great. That proves that you're not a fool. But it does not prove you've been born again. Satan believes the Bible. Did you know that? Did you know that, that Satan knows that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody can come to the Father? By the devil knows that. He actually knows that. But he don't want you to know that. But I think that you would want him to know it. Number eight, do you expect your prayers to be answered? Do you? Or you pray, if it be your will, if it be your will, if it be your will. You ever try praying the Bible? That's a fun thing. We don't have time to go into that, but sometimes it's fun. Just find Bible verses and just pray those Bible verses. And just say, let that be the prayer. Just take it right out of the Word, you know, and say, I'm just going to pray, and I want you to, to hear my prayer, God, and you answer according to what your will is for my life. Don't be a risk taker when it comes to Satan. Don't get up as close to Satan as you can and think you can outrun him, outsmart him. Don't do that. Rush to the Lord. Stay away from it. Try to find hope and peace in the presence of the Holy Spirit. 1 John 3, 22 says, Whatsoever you, we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do the things which are pleasing in his sight. Two more. Do you often sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? We'll say, well, how do you know that? Have you been comforted recently when most around you weren't comforted? Did you handle some news that others in the room didn't handle well, but you did because you knew, although you couldn't explain it, that God's ways were higher than your ways? Have you been able to 
move away from worrying about our country and start praying for our country? Think about it. Be honest with yourself. I'm, I'm thinking myself. I'm not preaching to you. I'm thinking with you. Are we worried? What are we worried about? Well, I'm just afraid. Stop. Don't be afraid. Just be still and know he's God. Yeah, but what if? Don't worry about the what ifs. If the what ifs are going to take place, you can't do anything about it. God is in control of this world. But he's still trying to get the remnants. And let me tell you something, folks. I should have said this a lot earlier. If you're one of those that's going to be with the majority, I promise you, you'll never see God in eternity. The Bible is very clear on this. Broad is the way that leads to eternal damnation, and many go therein. But narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and few there are that find it. You're not going to be the most popular person in the world if you don't, I mean, if you choose Jesus Christ to follow him. And so as we think again about are we going to worry or are we going to pray, I would hope today that you are comforted by the Lord, convicted by the Scriptures, guided in all truth. You find your courage in Him. I would hope that would be taking place. Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. 1 John 4, 13, Hereby we know that we dwell in Him and He in us because He gave us of His Spirit. And I'm almost through. I'm fixing to ask you a real tough question. Is it easier for you as a church member, baptized church member? Is it easier for you to volunteer for community service, as good as that is, rather than volunteer to a vacation Bible school, to teach a Bible study class, to go on a mission trip, to tell somebody about about Jesus, to go back in the connection room and sit down and talk with someone about how they can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Is it easier for you to coach Little League, coach basketball, whatever? Is that easy for you? But you find it extremely difficult if I've got to talk to somebody about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I just don't feel comfortable in doing that. And, of course, you have a cop-out, and it's in your vocabulary, and you use it often. Two things I don't discuss. I don't discuss politics. And I don't discuss religion. That's your vocabulary. That's the way you know that you have it. My dear friend, if you're a born-again Christian and you know what it means to be lost and you know you were once lost and now you're saved and you're not willing to talk about that even to a little eight-year-old child, that you feel uncomfortable, you need to talk to somebody. You need to be willing to sit down with somebody and say, hey, they're not going to condemn you. No, 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 no. It's not about that. It's about the truth. Why in the world do churches have to beg people to serve? Beg them, beg them, beg them, beg them. But you could have a movement on television today that we're all going to gather and feed, feed peanuts to the monkeys at the zoo, and you'd had every denomination lined up, cleared out, to, out the door. And I just love monkeys, and I don't want any monkeys to be hungry, you know, and God's name, I'm going to go feed the monkeys. But don't ask me to work in Bible school. I just don't know. Those, those little eight-year-olds scare me. You know, I'm only 60, and it really does scare me to be around there. They're so smart these days. Listen, fool them. Just be there and let Jesus speak to them through you. 
You say, well, their words are bigger than mine. No, they're not. They still talk in four-letter words, okay? You can still help them. But folks, listen. Don't stand in the lottery line and rob God of his tithes and offerings and think for one minute that you're God's child handling God's money in happening. Don't expect God to ever, ever bless you with more if you're not faithful with a little. In everything you do, everything you do, that you not move over into those areas of life where everybody and good people are, but you just say, look, as for me and my house, we're just going to serve the Lord. We're going to do everything that we can to serve the Lord. Let me tell you as I close, for those of you that are my brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to pray for our schools, our public schools. We need to pray earnestly for our public schools. We need to pray. That's right. We need to pray for our churches. We need to pray for our churches. We've just had a man in our church visit 100-plus churches in the greater Houston area, and most of those churches never talked about Jesus and salvation, not a one of them. Folks, that's not the church that Jesus built. God has put us together to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. There's no reason for you to doubt your salvation. You say, well, I don't deserve it. Neither did I. Neither does Billy Graham. Neither does anybody else. None of us deserve salvation. It's a gift. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So let me just give you the scripture. I think I gave you 1 John 4, 13. Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. That's the reason we want to serve. So my last point, number 10, is are you looking forward to Jesus coming again? Bowing at his feet. If you have any of the crowns that the Bible mentions, to take them off and put them at his feet. And to say, thank you, Jesus. I fought a good fight, finished the course, kept the faith. The faith. That's the reason there was laid up the treasure in heaven. So I want to say to every person here today, God's got a plan for your life. And it isn't over till it's over. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. Whether spring, summer, fall, or winter, this is the first day. Today, you can go home a brand new person. You will be treated by the Father as lovingly as he would treat a saint that's 85 years old or 100 years old. He'll take you like you are and make you what he wants you to be if, if, if you're in that minority that says, I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. I need Jesus in my life because he's not in my life. There's no evidence of it. As I look through those 10 things that I've just shared, but as for me, I want to give my heart to Christ.